Hey, welcome to the Victory Family Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. What a blessing. You know, uh, thank you, Victory Kingdom Builders and all of our campuses, those of you online, just thank you, thank you, thank you. I, sometimes I think of how desperately God loves people and how every imaginable way to reach people, he touches someone's heart to give their life for that. And uh, what a great way to, if, to touch the world is to, is to touch those who come here from all over the world who are coming with great expertise to go back to their nations, but to be full of God and to be able to bring Christ back to the places they've come from. Thank you, Kingdom Builders. I want to take a moment, of course, and want to welcome today our Newcastle campus and Meadville campus, our online folks that are watching with us today. We love you so much. We are one church, multiple locations. We're so grateful to be one church doing God's work in the earth. Would you welcome Cranberry to the campuses? Come on. We love you guys so much. I also want to thank every one of you as we approach the end of the year for your incredible faithfulness of God to steward your lives, not just your, your time, but also your resources. And uh, thank you for, for your faithfulness and your generosity as you, as you continue through the year end. And people ask, that's uh, one of the most common questions every year because of tax issues and people want to maximize their monies for both their home and their family and for God's kingdom, that if you do want to give into this calendar year's tax for tax purposes as well, you need to have that either here postmarked or online given by the 31st and so thank you again for your your generosity and your general ties and your offerings and kingdom builders thank you so so very much uh right after we had our impact offering uh, early in november uh a family in our church asked that that they 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 generously said look we want to give a quarter of a million dollar match and every dollar given up to a quarter of a million by the end of the year will match dollar for dollar and since the impact offering you've given right now to date $93,730 which is now doubled to $187,460 into kingdom builders come on you know I, I just think it's amazing to be a part of a family of God that, that wants to reach beyond its walls. I think the church should be known for what it's giving and what it's doing and not what it's asking for. How about you? Aren't you glad? Come on, man. So thankful for this. Maybe aren't you thankful, Newcastle? Come on. It's just a blessing to live this way. I want to pray over your obedience this year and, and, and as we enter into the Christmas season. But specifically, I want to pray over what I'm about to share with you. Because I think these, these things as we enter into the, into the Christmas season, a few weeks, a couple weeks or so away from Christmas, whatever it is. Yeah, two, three weeks, whatever it is. Um, it's coming. Christmas is a coming. I want to pray over your life because I believe the things that I'm going to be sharing with you in the next couple weeks will be so impactful to your heart over understanding the why of why Jesus actually had to come. Father, I thank you for these precious people. I thank you for those at our campuses, those online. And Lord, for their stewardship of their finances this year, we're so grateful, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of, of kingdom builders. Thank you that we will so far exceed the goal that we set. And so many wonderful phone calls and, and, and Zoom calls are going to be made to, to, to fund the gospel around the world and in our own backyard. We are so thankful for that. And Father, I pray today that the words that I speak are not just the words of a, of a person, but, but you will take those words and the person of the Holy Spirit will, will use them and teach them. You are the teacher of the church, the precious Holy Spirit of God, not a man, not a woman. But I pray that your presence is so real here at every location, that your presence is so real that people experience 
the love of our Father in a way that changes everything for them. I thank you that you are the God who loves us desperately. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, I, I want to talk to you about today, God with us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. I want to help you understand it. Because if you don't understand the why behind God came to be with us, you, you, you'll miss everything about, about walking with God. You'll miss Christianity in totality. In fact, this is all that really matters to God. Because until you get the why, the what will be just mysterious to you. In fact, the what can even be something that you can pass off and is just, you know, fables. But when you see the why, it will, I believe no matter whether you've served God and known God for de- days or decades, or you don't know God or aren't walking with God, or maybe even question his existence, that it will give you an insight into his desperate love for you. First, before I talk about God with us, I want to talk about the opposite the one that paralyzes people to even want God. It's us with God. Instead of God with us, we, we as human beings have flipped it and made it us with God. See, God with us is God choosing to come to us <clears throat> to deal with the issue of sin in our life and the burden and debt of sin that we could never pay, where he pays my debt. Us with God is when you enter into religion or self-righteousness. And you say, I, I, I'll pay my own debt. And so often I've tried to talk to people about what Jesus did for them. And they'll say, I, go, I have my way. I have my way. I, I, I go to church. I was baptized. I was fill in the blank. And they, they point to some sacrament they received in their church. No sacrament you receive in any church, including this one. No church, including this one, can make you right with God. None of them. Only a savior can do that. Self-righteousness is when we say this, God, I know there's a, no one's perfect God, but I'm, I'm, you know, there's some really messed up people in the world. I'm just not quite as bad as them, but, but you know, I I know I look, I'm not perfect. I'm not God, but I think I've done pretty well. And you try to earn your way into heaven and you'll never get there that way. The other side of self-righteousness, which is probably more common is when you look at your life and you, re- you reject God because of the way you've lived your life or what's happened to you in your life. Maybe you've done things that you, that you say, if, 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 if you knew what, what, what was in my past, you would never say that God wanted me. You, you just don't know. But if I told you, you would say to me, absolutely not. That's self-righteousness. It's when you exalt your yesterday above the desperate love he has for you. It's a form of self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is when you let what other people have done to you define God. People that have done you harm and evil. People that are, that are themselves broken. But you blame God. God, why did you let them do that? God has given people human will. You can choose, they can choose. And there's great risk in, in choice. There's so much risk in choice that God will let humans that he died for reject him. He will honor the choice of people. And it has great, great, great opportunity for good, but great opportunity for damage. Self-righteousness is when you let that define you. So let me delve into just a bit. I have four simple things I want you to understand today. First is what, what does it really mean, us with God? Where does that come from? Let me give you an example of, of my mom. Um, we were raised uh, Catholic. And, and I want to be very cautious. I'm not saying that this in any critical way. It's just the way we were raised. So when I go into some of this, I don't want you to draw any uh, conclusions. I'm putting anyone down, I'm not. But, but she was very devout. 
uh, prior to meeting my dad, she, she thought she might want to be a nun. After meeting my dad having five kids, she probably thought that would not have been a bad decision. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but anyway, she was so devout. Uh, she followed all the holy days. She went to, to mass whenever there were holy days. In fact, uh, she would get all five of us up on a holy day before school to be at mass at 6 a.m. Now, I don't know if you guys have any idea what that's like getting five kids ready to get at mass at 6 a.m. I mean, just telling you, by the time you get there, you, I mean, all hell itself has broken out in your life, in your, in your car. And every time she, would, she was constantly talking to us about uh, this is what you have to do and, uh, and, and this is what you do. And because you see, what she knew was that she could never earn heaven. And she did everything she knew to do. She was receiving every sacrament she knew to receive. And she was desperate for that because she knew when she died that she was either going to go to purgatory or to hell. Now, you say, what's a purgatory? It's not in the Bible, but it's, in our belief, it was a holding place. And here's what it simply is, is where you, where you pay for your own sins. You're punished. And people pray for you, and you get time out, and it gets you out more quickly, but you never know when you're out. And I don't mean that in any way critical. I'm trying to show you a belief system that captured her life, even though she was greatly devout. Just because you're a devout person doesn't mean you'll go to heaven. There's a very devout person listed in the Bible, very similar to what I just explained with my mom's life. His name was Cornelius, and this is true. If you don't know the Bible well, he was Italian. It's in the Bible. I'm telling you, Acts chapter 10. There's so much I could say about it that's not biblical, but, but I believe it anyway. But I'll spare you. Other than this part, I think his last name was Nuzo, but I can't prove that. You can't disprove it either. Um, so my great, 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 great granddaddy Cornelius in the Bible in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. The Bible said he was a devout man. He prayed all the time and he gave to the poor. And yet he still had to hear words whereby he could be saved. So you don't ever criticize people no matter whether they, whatever they do to try to please God because it's the heart that God answers and so my mom, back in the 70s, God breathed in the Catholic Church and this wonderful movement occurred called the Charismatic Renewal. And literally tens of millions of Catholic people were born again by the Spirit of God, making Jesus the Lord of their life and gloriously filled with the Holy Spirit. And it swept the world. And my mom was invited to a Bible study with these wonderful Catholic women in somebody's basement. And, the, she, and I, I, this story just sticks with me when the lady asked her, Patty, would you like to receive Jesus and you, you can be saved from your sin and know that you're going to heaven when you die? And my mother's answer was that it couldn't be. That can't be true. That, not me. How can you know? I, I've, I've never done enough. I can't do enough. She goes, no, no, no. And she took her into the scripture and she showed her. She said, in fact, she literally said to the lady, I couldn't be saved. I, what more, I, she's thinking, I'm sure, of all the things that she's done and wishes she should have done and, and looking at God. And this lady's telling her that if you receive Christ, you receive eternal life now and heaven's yours. And it was too hard for her to believe. And she brought her into the scripture of which my mom never read. And she began to see the truth. She gave her life to Christ that night. She was filled with the spirit of God that night. And our family changed that night. But I want to show you the God with us from the us with God. The us with God is dangerous 
Jesus told you to beware of it. He told me to beware of it. When Jesus tells you to beware of something, let your ears perk up. Like if you grew up with five brothers, the oldest brother, beware of him. Because he's usually evil and deadly. My oldest brother was that way. We we exiled him to West Virginia. Once he got old and and helpless, we let him come back to Pennsylvania. But uh, in Matthew chapter 16, listen to what Jesus is saying to his disciples. In verse 6, he said, watch out. Jesus warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let me stop for a moment. The Pharisees and Sadducees were two sects of Judaism. Certain, they had distinct beliefs between the other. And they were, though, the ones that that told you how to walk with God. They, They were the rule keepers, and they, by the way, told you every rule they kept. And Jesus said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisee and Sadducee. And they, again, immediately discourse with Jesus like he's talking about bread. And Jesus is about to explain the yeast isn't bread that he's talking about. Now listen in verse 11. He said, why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again, I say to you, beware of the yeast of the Pharisee and the Sadducee. Then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast and bread, but about the deceptive doctrine and teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The scripture tells us that just in in Galatians, that just a little bit of yeast will work through the whole batch of dough. What was the yeast or the doctrine of the Pharisee? It was us with God. It was all the things you have to do to make yourself right with God. It's this teaching that still is dominating how people see God today. This isn't something that just, well, that was just a belief of thousands of years ago. No, 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 no. This very belief This very belief is entrenched in the hearts of people as they think and look toward God. In fact, it's sadly entrenched still in the hearts of many Christians. And so I want you to, my hope is to help you to see that this this very deceptive teaching is causing people to reject Jesus. My mom, who wanted to please Jesus with everything in her heart, rejected his salvation because of this teaching. that, That can't be for me. There's no way that he would be that good for me. I I haven't done enough. And Jesus goes on in the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew. And now he's speaking to the Pharisees and everyone's listening. And uh, and let's just say they did not take an offering up when this discourse was over. In Matthew 23, verse 15, listen to what Jesus is saying to them. He said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Sometimes we think of Jesus plastic. Like he would stand there almost stiff and he would simply say something of this, what sorrow awaits you, O leaders. He was a man. He spoke with passion. And he's looking at the Pharisees in the midst of these people who were dressed in their robes and and wanted the praise of men. And he literally was looking at them and he said, what sorrow awaits you, you religious law teachers, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. That's what he said. Not thou hypocritest thou. He said, you hypocrites. That's what he said. Just like that. In the room changed. Jesus, well, he was so sweet and kind. Yes, he was. But I want you to see when it flipped. When Jesus became, when fire fell in his eyes. And he'll tell you why. He said, now listen to what he said. What sorrow awaits you, you hypocrites. For you cross the land and the sea to make one convert. And then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourselves are. 
Jesus said, everyone you convert to your righteousness is going to hell with you. Now, how many of you know people don't usually clap their hands for you and put their arm around you and say, well, thank you, amen. Why did he say this to them? Let me go on. Verse 27 says this. And he listed all the things that they put their confidence in that they did for God. He said, what sorrow awaits you, you teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. He said it over and over again, by the way, in case they didn't get it the first time. He said, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're filled with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Literally, in the context, stench. Jesus coined the term, not your kids, you stink. He said, your religion, your self-righteousness makes you appear to men to be right. But down in where you really are, your inward man that's been stained by sin is as rotten as a, as a human body rotting in a grave. And this is what he went on to say, verse 28. Outwardly, you look like righteous people. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Why was Jesus so adamant this way? Why was he so passionate? Because what he was saying is this, this doctrine of the Pharisee, of which he called yeast. That's in the book of Galatians, in regard to self-righteousness, said, he said, don't accept any of this teaching. Because a little yeast will work through the whole batch of dough. Because the very reason Jesus was there was to die for people. And they were saying, you don't need a savior. Just do what we tell you to do. And you can make yourselves right with God. Up a little bit further in this chapter, Jesus looked at them and he said, you put burdens on people that you yourselves can't lift. I mean, he raked them. Why? Because they themselves were lost and hell bound. And they were literally having people follow them to the very place they were going. He said, when you make a convert, you make him twice the child of hell. He was already hell bound and now you've cemented it because they're following you, you hypocrite. And all the while, he knows that not many days hence, these very people will gather together with the Roman government to have him crucified. These, these, these unbelievable hypocrites. Galatians 2, 20, uh, chapter 2, verse 21 says this. He said, I'm not of those who set aside the grace of God by treating Christ's death as meaningless. For if we could be saved by keeping the law, then there was no need for Christ to die. Paul wrote to the church of Galatia and he said, listen, if keeping the law of God or the doctrine of the Pharisee would make you right with God, then Jesus died for nothing. If, if, if salvation could be accomplished through human effort and works, then the, then the son of God died for nothing. And that's why us with God is so deadly. Whether you're far from God, or whether you even walk with God. So important, which takes you to the second part, which is the real part of Christmas, God with us. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet. Some 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, he wrote these prophetic utterances, and we have them now captured in the book of Isaiah. And there's so many throughout. The, you, you find Jesus, the pictures of Jesus throughout the New Te Old Testament from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Malachi, or you Italian people, the book of Malucci. It's not, I, anyway. Here's, here's the reality I want you to see. I want you to see that God was saying, I'm coming. Because there's a debt you cannot pay. And, and, and Isaiah, if you read the book of, of Isaiah, the prophetic portions, you would think they were in the New Testament if you didn't know any better. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says this. 
then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God said there will come a day when a virgin will bear a child, a son. But that son will not just be any son. It will be God and human flesh mixed together. Theologically, it's called the hypostatic union. Can I just be honest with you? I hate theological terms. Jesus never used them. He told stories about farmers. Hypostatic union talks, I feel like if I touch you, you're going to get shocked. You take the most glorious event that ever happened in the history of, of anything, and you call it the hypostatic union. It means God and human becoming one. God said, I will become human flesh for a reason. And a virgin will, 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 will literally conceive a human body that I will implant in her and I will live in that body. And I will be all God and I will be all man. The same prophet Isaiah told you what this God man would do. That we know is God with us, Jesus in Isaiah 53, I went, oh, there's, just, if you ever read just Isaiah 53, your heart will, will, will just almost overwhelm you if you just read it. That you, it, it. It's like it's in the New Testament. It's so clear, pointing to Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 4 says this, referring to Jesus, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And when we thought, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed by God, if you will, for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, I don't care how good you think you are, uh, what you think you've done for God, he said all of us. There are no exceptions. Sin has stained all of us. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. So yet... The Lord laid on him the sins of all of us. Us with God are the rule keepers. And I did this for God and I'll do that for God. Or I'm not good enough, so I'll just run away from God. But God said, I'm righteous and I'm holy. And I judge righteously. And you are guilty and you are destined to be separated from me forever in a place of punishment. He said, but... I'm going to come and take a human body and all of the debt and all of the burden that is due you, I will pour out on myself. That's why when Jesus was born of a virgin, you say, well, I'm way too educated for a virgin birth. Just between us, you're way too educated. Yeah, you really are. Well, that's just a fable. Just between you and me, you're not going to live forever, no matter where where you went to college. You'll die someday. And you want to wait to die to find out that you educated your head at the expense of your eternity in your heart. A virgin conceived for a reason. Because God sent someone who would bear the sin of the world in your place and mine. And there is no other way of salvation but that sacrifice. That's why when Jesus started his public ministry and John the Baptist saw him, I want you to see what John said of him in John 1.29. The next day, this is God with us. And here's the God with us. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not behold the great teacher, the great moral teacher, the great healer. He said, behold the Lamb. And every Jewish mind knew what that meant. 
because for hundreds of years, innocent lambs were offered up and their blood was spilled as a sacrifice, as a symbolic covering of their sin. It could never make it go away, but it was pointing to a savior that someday would be, now listen, not a lamb of God, but the lamb of God. And that lamb in the Old Testament had to be spotless and perfect. And this lamb was spotless and perfect. All God, all man, and yet never tasted sin. He won the battle that Adam lost. And John, when he saw him, declared why he came. That man is the lamb of God. Behold the lamb. Behold the lamb. My prayer for every one of us today is that when you think of God and you think of Jesus, that you behold a lamb and not the nonsense of religion and the rule keepers and do this and do that and maybe God will love you. Until you understand God with us was his choice. You'll, until you understand that you will live us with God and will either drive you into self-righteousness where you think you're okay on your own or will drive you away from God which takes you to the third thing I want you to understand is the why of God with us. Why would the God of the universe do this? Why would the creator of all, all, all that is, including the one who created you and me and made us in his very image, why would he care? Why would he come and literally put himself at risk? You understand Jesus could have failed. You understand that Jesus could have, could have sinned. No, no, Jesus couldn't have sinned. The Bible said he was tempted. If, you're, if you can't fail, you can't be tempted. And if he wasn't tempted, then the Bible's a fraud. He could have failed. And God put his very existence on the line. The very enemy of your soul and mind, he could have come under his dominion if, if Jesus had sinned. And God risked it all you that's the why he's so desperately in love with you religion extracts the love of God from the most amazing demonstration of love that there aren't words words fail you the most common scripture that people quote loses its meaning because they really don't listen to the meaning of it John 3, 16, and then most don't read verse 17. But I want you to, this is the why of God with us. For God so loved the world. That's the why. God so loved you. God so loved you. No, 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 you don't understand. No, no, no. God so loved the world without him. I don't care if you love God, you hate God. If you deny his existence. If you get up every day and spend 12 hours with every curse word you can imagine, pointing your finger at him and calling him everything you can imagine, it doesn't change how much he loves you that much. He loves you. And you get to choose what you do with him. But until you understand the why he came, that you are the why. You are the reason. You are, the Bible said to him, called the precious fruit of the earth. For God so loved this world that he gave something. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. Say it out loud, whoever. Say it again, whoever. Come on, all of our campuses, say it out loud where you hear it, whoever. See, that means anybody. There's no one, no one has gone too far. He said, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And listen to what Jesus said. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
I didn't come to condemn you. Yet when most people think of God, they think of his condemnation. When most people think of Jesus, they think of, what do I need to do, do, to do, to do? There's no to-dos. There's a receiving and then a response to his love. Religion will give you a list of things to do and not to do. All of which, by the way, you hate. Religion will give you 50 things to do you don't want to do and 20 things to stop doing you don't want to stop doing. And if you do it and you suffer enough and you're miserable enough, somehow God will go, okay, you suffered enough. Now I can stomach you. God so loved you that he gave something. He gave literally himself. And Jesus said, listen, I didn't come into the world to condemn it. Do you know that most Christians, when they talk about God, don't represent Jesus. They represent the Pharisee. They tell people that don't know God how to live, what to do, instead of who to come to. And my heart today is that when you see the why, that you understand that you are the absolute object of his obsessive love. And when you believe that kind of love, it changes everything. That's why if you're a part of this church or you've come at any length of time, you hear us say this purpose statement over and over. You think, it's so redundant. It's not redundant. It's so important that my heart's desire is that you don't hear the words, but the meaning of it literally just saturates your soul. That we exist to help all people realize that God loves them unconditionally. The Bible tells us it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Most people run from God because they're afraid of him. Most people think I have enough problems without getting close to God. Somehow we have this illusion that God figures out I'm messed up if I tell him. Right? I don't want to tell him, you know, because like, oh, I tell him and he's like, oh, I forgot about that. I didn't know. (laughs) What if you saw him as he is rather than how self-righteousness and religion has shaped him in your soul what would happen with the way you live your everyday life if you believe the god that made the universe desperately loves you a love that you'll never be able to duplicate even between you and your own children it exceeds that kind of love what if you believe that what if you saw christmas as that is god with us because god was going to pay a price that no one could pay And lastly is this, which it all comes down to this, is the response to God with us. Jesus didn't come to start religions. He came so people could respond to him, not just his teaching, him. And in the the gospel of John, there's this amazing statement that's for every human being on, on the planet. And listen to what it says, John chapter one, verse 10. Speaking of Jesus, this statement alone just wrecks my heart and he came into the very world he created what kind of love is that he came into the very world that he created but the world didn't recognize him he came to his own people even they rejected him but to as many who receive him to them he gave the right and the power to become children of God They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God, a birth that is full of passion and God planned for you. I want you to grasp this, that the very God 
of the universe that made it, that loves you so desperately, came into the very world he created, became the very creation he made so that he could purchase your redemption. He could pay the debt of my sin and your sin that you could never pay. What kind of love is this? And he said, and to anyone who receives him, he empowers you to become his child. Not forgiven. When you give your life to Jesus, you don't get forgiven. You become brand new. You become a child of God. Your sin debt is canceled because you're a new creation. And he said, and you are reborn spiritually just like you were reborn physically. Now, let this sink into your soul. I pray this sinks deep into your soul. He said, human births come from planning or passion or both. I don't know how you got on the planet. Maybe it was two loving parents. Maybe it was an assault. Maybe it was a, 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 an, a, an unwanted pregnancy. Maybe somebody, your, your mom got pregnant and your dad disappeared and you never saw him again. I don't know how you got brought into this earth. Whether you felt wanted or unwanted. Whether it was the plan of somebody or just passion. Or even passion turned into evil and assault. You see, how you come into this world and how you're raised in this world begins to define how you see yourself. That's why the home is the reflection of the image of God and it's so important to God because he wants you to see his image in the earth. But that image has been shattered. And most people are, are raised in an environment where their value and their worth is belittled over and over and over and over. And here's what God is saying to you. I brought you into my kingdom on purpose. I chose you. You didn't choose me. I died for you. You didn't die for me. And I planned you and I had a passion for you. Human passion brings pleasure between two people. The passion of Christ was his death. The passion that God showed for you was not an act of pleasure that would procreate. The passion of Christ was that he would walk a road with a cross, go onto a hill called Golgotha, and then be hung on a cross like a criminal, and the wrath of God would be poured to him. He said, that's the passion I have for you. There was no joy in it, except the Bible said, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You were the joy set before him. This world that extracts worth and value out of people like a vacuum. It's no match if you learn to understand the grace and the amazing love of God. It's, it's no match. It's no match. If you would just come to the understanding that he's so passionate for me that he died for me. What if you believe that? So what's my response? He said to as many as receive him, he'll make you his child. If your heart is far from God today, if you don't know Christ, if you've never given your life to the living Christ who died on that cross, buried, and rose from the dead. You've never given your life to him, he said, then you get to choose. You can receive him or reject him. Jesus is called in the scripture the unspeakable gift. And most people live and die and they reject the gift. But what if you have received Christ? What are we to do with this? One, we're to realize that everything in me that's good is from him. And his love for me is from everlasting to everlasting. But I believe here's what he would say to those of us who know him, who have given our lives to Christ and have been rescued. 
The last thing Jesus said when he left the planet was to all of us, but to individually. He said, go into your world and tell people this story. Because everyone who receives me will be saved and everyone who doesn't will be damned. So it's your job now. I empower you. Go tell them what I've done for you. Most Christians live and die and never tell anybody because they don't know how. I don't, I'm not good at all that. Isn't it just as simple to say this? There's no way that I could pay for my sins. He paid for me because he loves me. So I gave my life to the one who died for me. And he turns no one away. He won't turn you away. But can I give you a very, very easy thing to do? And I want you to join your faith to it and your prayers to it because I am. Christmas Eve here at all of our campuses and all the times that will come up at all of our campuses. Christmas Eve service is going to be wonderful. It's going to be fun. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be candlelit. But right in the midst of that wonderful experience, I'm going to, I'm trusting God to give me the ability in just 10 minutes or so to tell this simple story so that people can come to know Jesus. Here's what I want to ask you to do at Christmas Eve. People that are far from God in your life, family members that are coming in, invite them to come with you. And I'm telling you, Jesus will show up in their life. I don't know that there's a greater gift to give a human being than the Savior on Christmas. I don't know what gifts you have planned for people, how much money you've spent, how much effort you're doing. But there will be never a gift that you give compared to eternal life. And what I'm asking for every one of you to do at all of our campuses, in a moment we're going to worship God together, and I'm asking you to ask God, put someone in my heart that's far from you, that I can invite, that I can meet here on Christmas Eve. What, and if it's family, we come together. And just come back, and it'll be, I'm telling you, they'll enjoy the experience. At all of our campuses, that's fine. But I'm telling you, God will touch their heart, and they can be born of God eternal life can you imagine a greater gift to give God on Christmas than the death burial resurrection of his son changing someone's life eternally because you did what he asked you to do I'm praying that God will show you in your heart and and put a burden on your heart for different people that you can you can simply bring or invite and as they come let God do the work in their life because he wants, you will never know joy beyond that in, in this life. Oh, the love of God. At all of our campuses, in a moment, we're going to worship God together. And God, by the power of his spirit, wants to move in this place. And I mean now. We serve a living God. That he wants to manifest his power, his presence, his healing power. But as you yield to him, ask him that question. Let him burn someone into your heart. And then just invite and, and encourage. And that's all you have to do. And let God be God in their life. How about let's celebrate Christmas Eve by saying, I don't know, seeing five, 600 people come to Jesus. That's what I call Christmas. How many of you can believe God with me to see three, four, 500 people come to Christ Christmas Eve in our campuses? Come on. That's what we're here for. I'm going to pray over all of our lives, all of our campuses. Let's stand together. And then when I finish this prayer at your campuses, you're going to worship God. We're going to worship here at Cranberry. And we're going to trust God, the Holy Spirit, to just do what he desires to do. Heavenly Father, in your presence, we stand right now. 
I thank you for Jesus, God with us. Thank you for your amazing love. Lord, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice that they would know the depths of your love for them, whether their heart is far from you or whether they walk with you, that they would be saturated with the truth that the Father himself desperately loves them. And Lord, for those of us that have already come to know you, I pray that as we worship, you place people on our hearts, people that you died for, that you need us to go do our job and tell them. And we trust you that on Christmas Eve, as we celebrate, the world celebrates your birth, that they can be born of God because of the passion and plan of heaven. We bless you. We bless you, Father. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives now. Come on, let's worship God at all of our campuses. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Victory Family Church. If you enjoyed listening, please take a moment to rate, review, and share. For more resources, including locations and service times, please visit lifeatvictory.com.